Um, a hero is somebody who comes in and saves the day when things look bleak, when things feel like defeat is inevitable. A hero comes in and saves the day. And as I was thinking about heroes, I went back to my love for the Lord of the Rings books and movies. Anybody, anybody with me? On the, all right. Few of us nerds in this room. That's right. But if you remember in the, the second book, the second movie, the, the Two Towers, there was an incredible uh, battle scene at Helm's Deep. At Helm's Deep was this unpenetrable fortress that uh, the people and the elves were, were trying to hold off the, the evil orcs and, and all that was going to happen through them. And if you remember, things were looking really bleak, but then the hero, Gandalf, shows up at the right time on a horse, just like he said he was, he was going to. And he has his troops with him, and they wipe out the orcs, and they, he came and saved the day. Continuing in the Lord of the Rings, Frodo, the little hobbit whose job was to destroy the ring of power. And uh, Frodo and Sam get all the way to the place where they almost think they're going to destroy it. And then uh, it, it, the whole plot of the story seems to be crescendoing as well with, with people getting killed and the elves and all that. But Frodo saves the day. Frodo saves the Kills, uh, kills, destroys the ring. We're in a series called Whosoever Believes. And we are, what we're doing is over the spring and the, the summertime, we're looking at the letters in the New Testament. Started, we started in Romans. We're going to go to Revelation each week. And what we're doing is we're mining these letters and we're trying to pull out what is like a crescendo passage. What is like the meat of one of these letters. And then we're talking about it and giving context to these New Testament letters. Today, we're in the book of Ephesians. And the book of Ephesians um, is, Ephesus is a town still today in modern day Turkey, but it was a, a, a bustling town back in the time of Jesus and, and the apostles and the preaching of the gospel. And we see in the book of Acts where Paul, doing what he did all the time, he would go out to spread the gospel to the known world, and he would go into one of these towns, he would go find the synagogue, he would tell the, the Jewish people about Jesus and what he had accomplished, and then he would go to the non-Jewish people or the Gentiles, and they would create a church. They would create a, a group of followers who began to follow Jesus together, both Jew and Gentile together. Beautiful picture. In the book of Ephesians, Paul wrote from prison. He wrote four of his New Testament letters while he was awaiting a sentence in Rome for preaching the gospel, for just telling people the good news about Jesus. I've titled today's message, But God. But God. We see this phrase throughout the Bible and in the New Testament. Some have said that this, this little phrase, but God, might be the most important phrase in all of Scripture. We can describe but God as God's active hand of grace on us, his intentional interruption in our lives, his intervention into our lives. How many like albums that have our greatest hits of your favorite band? 
well, I'll put together maybe a greatest hits of the but God phrase. First, we'll go all the way back to the beginning. Things look bleak for Noah. No, the times that Noah lived in was such depravity that God was disappointed that he had even... There he is. We were looking at him this morning. Did you see him? Let's don't pay any attention to him. He'll go away, right? Things look bleak for Noah, and yet, but God remembered Noah and his righteousness. Then you remember Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was betrayed by them. He was betrayed by Potiphar's wife and eventually Pharaoh. And yet, when he talked about that betrayal that happened to him, he said, but God turned what they meant for evil for good. And then, if you remember King Saul, first king of Israel, he, he sinned and God removed him from being king and anointed David. And yet, Saul pursued to kill David, knowing that David was the next king, he pursued to kill him. Saul intended on killing David, but God did not give David into his hands. Then there was Jonah, sent to, to preach repentance to the people of Nineveh. And he didn't want to do it. And so he got swallowed up by a whale or a large fish. And he was in the belly of a whale for three days. And then in his own words, but God brought his life up from the pit. You seeing a theme here? Jesus said, with man, things are not possible. But with God, all things are possible. And then the apostle John describing the incarnation of Jesus, that God the Son took on human flesh. He said, no one has ever seen God, but God the Son has made him known. And maybe the most important but God statement is this. Jesus was put to death by wicked men, but God raised him for our salvation. How about you today? What's your but God story? Where did things look bleak? And discouragement and defeat seemed so inevitable, but God stepped in and saved the day. I'm looking at the front row, and I think of two or three but God stories for the sumps. I look around this room, and I see people who uh, had health crisis that were healed because God stepped in. Financial problems, jobs that were created when someone didn't have a job. But God, he steps in and he, he saves the day. Maybe today you're in the middle of the but God story that's being written. You haven't seen the conclusion yet. You're in the middle of a trial and you're experiencing disappointment and defeat. And you, you don't see the end in sight. Listen, cooperate with God and it will be, yeah, things were bleak. But God stepped in and saved the day. I have plenty of but God stories. When I was in my early 20s, I was on the road to destruction, for sure. But God introduced me to Jesus, and I've been following him ever since. The, when I felt a calling to pastoring and, and local church ministry, I went to Bible college. And after the first year of Bible college, I thought, eh, maybe this isn't for me. And my dad had this insurance business that he always wanted to give to one of his sons. And I, uh, I was like, maybe I'll just be a, a Christian businessman. 
But God told me to finish, that he had something on the other end of Bible college. And it wasn't shortly after that that I began in full-time ministry and, and been doing this for almost 30 years at this point in time. Years ago, um, I almost quit ministry because of some circumstances that were going on. But God, but God turned what felt like a dead end into a detour that birthed Novation Church. But God. Say it with me. But God. I want you to be thinking about that as we talk through this this morning and let God begin to let you glorify him in your past story, maybe in what you're going through now and in the future as preparation, because we're all going to go through difficult situations. It's the inevitable part of the human condition, this side of heaven. I'm going to read, uh, I'm going to teach through chapter two of Ephesians, the first 10 verses. And, And in those verses, Paul is reminding the church at Ephesus of who they were prior to their knowledge of the gospel, who they were prior to their putting their faith in Jesus and who they are now in Christ. It was the the depth of their condition before and the height now of their position in Christ. When you read the Bible, remember this. It wasn't written to you, but it was written for you. When Paul wrote the, the church at Ephesus, he didn't think, hmm, Novation Church will be talking about this letter in 2020, May of 2023. No, he was encouraging this church that he had started. But we realize how inspired these letters. We're peeking into a letter from, from one person to a group of people, and we get to gain encouragement, education, and be edified by what was written 2,000 years ago. It's amazing how what in God's plan of, of keeping these letters and preserving them for us. I'm going to dig through these 10 verses with, with four, four statements. First of all, we were on the path to self-destruction, but God changed our direction. But God changed our direction. Here's what he tells them in the first three verses. He says, as for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Now, Paul is not just talking. We can look backwards on this and realize Paul is not just talking about the Ephesians, but he's diagnosing the human condition before someone understands the gospel. That's, you're just, we're living for ourselves. There were several statements he said. He said, you were unresponsive to truth. Like a dead person can't respond to our words. That's unresponsive. And he said that because of the condition that we found ourselves in, we were unresponsive to truth. We were mastered by self. We obeyed the ruler of darkness. We obeyed our our sinful nature. We served the things that bring out God's righteous anger. We were on the path to self-destruction. 
but God. Through Jesus and his gospel, he changed our direction. How do you know if that's you today? How do I know if that's, that's me? Is this past tense for me? Is this past tense for you? I'll ask you a simple question. Who are you following today? Who's in charge of your life? Is it Jesus? Then yeah, this is all about you and it's the past. Because the whole part of the Christian life and walk is turning away from self to selflessness, to self-denial, and learning how how to become others-centered like Jesus. And that's what repentance really is. Repentance is a gift from God. It's It's a beautiful word that means... A change of mind and a change of heart and a cha- literally a change in direction. A couple, week, uh, a couple months ago, I was coming home from getting a haircut. And we live in Farvada, so I was um, heading on Highway 58 going west towards Golden to get on McIntyre Street, if you're familiar with that area. And it's a highway. And as I got off the, the off-ramp to turn right to get on McIntyre... There was this little old lady in, the, in a turn lane, and she turned onto the off-ramp going the wrong way. And I was like, this isn't going to turn out well. And um, she thought she was turning on the highway, but she turned too soon. And I kept looking in my, the rearview mirror because I was at a red light, like trying to see what was going to happen here. And I saw she finally probably saw the sign that said, wrong way. And she stopped, and people were cordial to her and let her turn around and go in the opposite direction. That's repentance. You're going the wrong way, bro. You're going the wrong way, sister. Turn around. Go in the right direction, the direction of Jesus, the direction that he has set out for our life. That's truly what repentance is. And along the way, when we're not going in the right direction, you're going to see and feel wrong way. I do. I blow it all the time. I see my own, my failures daily. Wrong way, Scott. Wrong way. Okay. Stop. Turn around and let's go in the right direction, in the direction and the way of Jesus. His path, his direction is always going to lead us to peace, to joy, to assurance in our life. And when you fall off the path of Jesus, get back on. That's what, that's what the scriptures do. The scriptures teach us, like, this is the path, the way of Jesus. And then the scriptures tell us when I've gotten off the path. Then the scriptures help me to get back on the path, which is repentance. And then the scriptures teach me how to stay on the path. God changed our direction. Second statement. We used to be lost trying to find out who we are. But God gave us a new and true identity. A new and true identity. I think there's two types of lostness. There's being lost and you don't know it. You're just on autopilot like that lady was going the wrong way. She didn't know until you know, she, she realized where she was at, what was going on there. So there's that type of lostness. But then there's the type of lostness that you're lost and you know it. That's a bad, bad feeling when you're trying to get somewhere and maybe you feel unsafe or whatever. It made me think about uh, 20-something years ago when I was with 
a group of high school students in Israel. I'm not going to say it. And we went to, uh, and we got dropped off in the old city of Jerusalem. And I was, it was my first time there, so I wasn't super familiar with um, the old city and how to get around. And we were supposed to go to the garden tomb, which is outside the city, the tomb where Jesus may have been buried and rose again. He's definitely in the vicinity. So me not knowing what was going on, hurting high school students, we go into the old city. And we went in through the Palestinian quarter. You have the Palestinian quarter, the Jewish quarter, and the Christian quarter of the old, old city. And when we walked into the Palestinian uh, area, it, it felt like we went back in time. It felt like a scene out of a Raiders of the Lost Ark movie. There was like meat hanging down and people were yelling and cussing at us. It was, it was a strange experience. I'm not prejudiced against Palestinians. I love them like I do all human beings. I'm just stating facts of what happened to us. And even we, I, so what I did was I said, I'm going to be up front in this line of people. And I put Chris Ingalls in the far back. And then everybody was in a single file line and we were just kind of walking through and I'm blocking and eyes, you know, head on a swivel kind of deal looking around. One of our girls got her butt grabbed by somebody and she's crying. And I was like, we got to get out of here. And so we finally ran into a group from our church that was also there. And we were like, hallelujah, we, we made it through. And, and I asked the person who knew totally about Jerusalem. She said, yeah, you took a wrong turn. I was like, you think? And that was a lostness that I knew it that didn't feel good. And here's what I think. Here's my point. When we are trying to find our identity, our sense of self-worth, who am I? Do I matter? When I try to find that in anything or anybody other than Jesus, I'm going to feel lost. And it's, it's, a, it's a hamster wheel of trying to find self-worth and identity unless I find it first and foremost in Jesus and his love for me and his love for you. That's what identity is, is it's who am I and do I matter? And then when you have the right answer in Jesus, you go, yep, I have an identity that's solid in my life. Here's what Paul tells them. But God, there it is, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Your new identity is mercy You've been shown mercy. You are loved unconditionally. And that he's given you grace. He's given you everything you need. We, we call that positional truth. Because that's not always my daily experience, nor is it yours, if we were to be quite honest. There are positional truths about us. It's something that God has said about you. 
that we have to learn to believe and, and live out practically. The whole emphasis of Ephesians is who you are in Christ. That when, when, when Jesus died, we died. When Jesus was raised, we were raised. When he was exalted, we were exalted with him. That's just Jesus. He shares everything that's his with us. So it's, that is the good news of the gospel. What happened to him happened to us positionally. He's the, the new and true Adam. Meaning, God created Adam. He's the first man created, right? And he was the representative of humanity. And he failed. He and Eve failed. And Scripture says death entered into the world because of their failure, their sin. And then sin entered into all of humanity, and thus death enters into all of humanity. But in 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul says that Jesus is the new in the true Adam. He's, he's the, the start of new humanity. It's, Paul says that in the rest of Ephesians 2. It's the new humanity. He is now the prototype through his life, death, and resurrection because Jesus entered into our world as one of us. He took on flesh. He entered into this fallen world. So we celebrate every Christmas is the incarnation of God the Son coming into this world. Jesus was fully human, just as you and I are. Though his conception was miraculous by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, everything else about his life, he can relate to everything with us. He was nine months in the womb. He cried when he needed his little diaper changed. He pooped. I don't know if you know that or not, but sometimes we get this idea that Jesus is superhuman. No. He felt the elements. He got hot. He got cold. He sweated. He got bad breath if he ate garlic. Like he, in every way, he was, he was like us. And in, in that, his life, death, and resurrection, in his life, Jesus submitted his will daily to the Father. And he never sinned because he was always connected to his Father. He wants to, us to learn how to walk in that kind of relationship and fellowship with his father. So that's our position. Practically, we need to, to believe who we are in Jesus and who he says about us, not about what other people have said to us or the, the false messages that have been taught to us. But who does Jesus say you are? Who does the father say that you are? And then learning to live out who we are now in Jesus, learning to live out that mercy, love, and grace. Somebody said, an unknown author said, sin is me trying to sit in God's seat. The gospel is Jesus sat in my seat so I could sit in his. Third statement is this. We used to, to work hard for God to accept us, but God has changed how we relate to him. He's changed how we relate to him. From the beginning of, of time, even going back to Adam and Eve, the, the darkness that deceived them, is people don't believe that God is good. And we start with this assumption that God's really not interested in me and he's out there somewhere and just is disinterested or at least indifferent. And so we create this ladder of religion we create this ladder of do's and don'ts and lists 
that if I keep my do's and don'ts and my lists and, and I'm religious and all that, I could climb this ladder and get to God. And the gospel is that God said, let me remove this silly ladder. I'm coming to you and I'm going to show you what, how much I love you in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus shows us what God is like. He said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if you ever wonder, well, what's God like? Look at the life of Jesus in the Gospels. You see what God is like. Outside of faith in Jesus, we're trying to let our good outweigh our, our bad somehow. Or we begin to compare ourselves to others and we think, well, I didn't do what that person did or I don't live like this person lives. I must be okay. And at the end of the day, the only person we should compare ourselves to is Jesus. He's the standard. He's the prototype of what to look at what life is like. He goes on in verse 8 and 9. God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for it. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He did that for us. In human flesh, he lived a perfect life on our behalf. He, his death and resurrection defeated the enemies in our life of sin, death, and the evil one. Sin was nailed to the cross. He defeated death by his resurrection. And he defeated and stripped away the authority of the powers of, of darkness by what he did in his submission to death. He didn't win the war with tanks and missiles and guns and swords. He did it through submission to death on a cross. If you've tried rules-type religion, if you've tried legalism, not going to make you raise your hand, but that was my first experience of what Christianity was. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. That is, makes you miserable at the end of the day because you, you're not in relationship. We're trying to always prove ourselves because that's what he's talking about here. Don't take credit. Don't boast. Boasting is believing that, that we earn salvation and love based upon what we do and don't do. We're trying to find confidence somehow by our, our scales here. Well, the good outweighs the bad. And it's a way of trying to find confidence in, in fearful, when we're fearful of something. The, the, the ancient soldiers, the Greek warriors, um, the Polynesian culture, they, they would always pump themselves up before battle, right? Ooh, ah, right? you know, smash swords and all this stuff because they were trying to pump themselves up because they knew they were probably going to die in battle. So I got to muster up some courage here. That's what we do when we think somehow we can take credit for our lives. What does life look like without uh, boasting? Number one, contentment. When, we're, when we are, realize this is all a gift from God to start with, then you see everything as a gift, not as something that you've earned. And then it's a life of humility where we begin to see people with compassion. We see through the lens of Jesus in, in people rather than the eyes of a Pharisee or, 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 or religion or whatever. And then we learn how to give forgiveness and mercy 
to those who have hurt us. That's a life of not boasting. And we say, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forgive as Christ forgave me. And then the last statement in this passage, we were on a search for purpose and significance, but God has given us real purpose and significance. I hope that's your experience. Sometimes people ask me, why, are, why do you follow Jesus? Because he answers the big questions of life. Everybody's trying to answer the question of why do I exist? What's gone wrong in this world? What happens when you die? Jesus answered all of those questions with solid answers. I'm with him. I'm going to go with what he, he says. I'm banking all in on who Jesus is, what he's done, and what he's promised for the future. Paul says, for we are God's masterpiece. That's powerful. You're his workmanship. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Do you know God planned good things for your life? He's, he's daring all of us to dream on how we can have impact on other people's life. And that's a significant life, and that's a life with purpose. We're saved by faith alone, but by a faith that's never alone. God's always wanting to produce fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of, of good works in our lives. We're sig- significant. Uh, my life is significant because we have meaning because of, of Jesus. And our lives can have impact on others. You could be the answer to someone's prayers. Someone might be praying for some sort of breakthrough, financially, relationally, uh, whatever. You could be the answer to that as, as we're seeking God on a daily basis. Lord, let me be the answer to someone's prayers today. And then the purpose, having a real purpose, is now we know why we exist. We exist to every person that's ever been born has the same purpose, whether they know God or not. It's to love God, be loved by God, and love others. That's, that's every purpose of, of, the hum, of our humanity. Sometimes we find our purpose in what we do for a living, and don't do that. What you do for a living is how God causes you to earn money for your family. You were created to love and be loved. Worth and value are determined by the owner of something. Let me give you an example. So in my hand is a piece of broken pottery. And you may think, ooh, that's really cool, Scott. Like, (laughs) this is worth so much to me. I'll tell you why. In 2019, when, when we were in Israel, we went to a place called Shiloh. And you should come to Israel with us in October if you're on the fence at all, because we'll go to Shiloh again. It's one of the coolest spots. And in the book of Joshua we see that the tabernacle in the wilderness where they did the sacrifices and all that um, was in Shiloh for 460 years. And when you stand at the door of the, what we, you can see the outline of where the tabernacle was for 460 years, it's amazing. And at the end of the tabernacle, there's piles and piles of broken pottery. 
And what they would do on the holy feasts is when they, after they ate, they would take their dishes and they would smash them on the ground and not use those ever again because it was holy, you know, set apart for the Lord. And in Israel, they, you know, 99% of the time say, don't touch any of the artifacts or any of these things. But they said, take a piece of pottery for, for yourself. I'm holding a piece of pottery that dates back to the book of Joshua. No doubt about it. And when we picked up our pieces of, of pottery, I prayed about something. And this piece of pottery sits on my desk, and I'm awaiting the fulfillment of the prayer that I asked of God. Again, worth and value is determined by the owner. And in our case, our creator. Second, maybe insignificant thing to you is this coin. Why is this significant to me? Well, when you flip it over, it's our little Chase on her boot camp graduation from the Navy. And they took a photo. And on the day of her boot camp graduation, I couldn't have been, I was so proud. Our little pipsqueak made it through boot camp and was on her way to, went from recruit to, to a sailor. And I got this to commemorate that that day. So this is worth everything to me. It might not mean much to somebody, but it means everything to me. You have value and worth determined by your creator, by our heavenly father. If you doubt that today, look at the cross. Look at what Jesus has done. He loved you so much. The Father loved you so much, and the Son loved you so much, they were willing to go through what He went through. That's your worth and your value. But God, He changes everything. You might be in a bleak situation right now. You might feel helpless, hopeless. But God, let Him write your story. Um, I want to invite Christy to come back up here. Can you give it up for Christy Patrick? Her and her husband, Ben, had an incredible but God story that I know will in- encourage you. I asked her to just share about that. And we're going to close with singing about how great our God is after hearing this testimony. Amen. So um, in 2014, we found out that we were having our little Xander, and we were really excited and just prayed over the entire pregnancy. It was a very, what, you know, normal, normal pregnancy, typical, standard, everything was good. Um, until 30 weeks, I was at a grocery store just randomly doing some shopping and saw one of those little blood, blood pressure cuffs, and I was like, oh, that's cool. I want to do that. And I remember going to the pharmacist saying, hey, um, I think your machine's broken. And he said, I'll just come back. And he looked at me with wide eyes and said, you need to get to a doctor right now. I went to the doctor, and who then sent me to the hospital. And my blood pressure at the time was 196 over 128. Yeah, it turns out that's not good. Um, I remember the doctor looking at me and saying, how did you know to take your blood pressure? You have no other symptoms that we're looking for. Like, there's no headache. There's no nothing that we're looking for. How did you know? That was my first but God right there because I know that he was saving Xander's life and most likely my life because I didn't have a doctor appointment for another two weeks. And I don't know how long I had been walking around like that with no clue. 
So I was in the hospital, and they monitored everything. And three days later, they look at me, and they said, Christy, it's time. We need to go, and we're prepping the OR. It's getting worse for Xander. He's, he's very sick right now. And they prepped both Ben and I and said, your child is very sick. We want you to know there's a whole crew going to take care of him. There's a whole separate crew ready for him, but we need you to know that he's really sick. And I remember Ben and I saying, Can, do we have time to pray? While they're prepping the OR, we prayed. We put on a hymn, and I remember Ben telling me, like, I, I've got a piece. God, God's got him. And as I said, we were so prepared for how sick he was going to be that it was actually a shock in the OR. He had his cord wrapped around his neck three times, and when they unwrapped it, my little two-pound, six-ounce baby starts waving his arms and legs everywhere and starts crying. And I remember the doctor telling me at our first meeting he shouldn't have been able to cry, like that she was surprised in the OR because he shouldn't have been able to cry. He should have been sick. She said, I looked at everything that was coming in. He should have been very sick. And instead, our little miracle just kept growing and kept growing and doing so well in the NICU that he wound up going home after six weeks. And so we're thinking, you know, it's over. You know, he's home. It's been six weeks. He was only four pounds at the time, but he did so good that he got out. And then just a few days later, Xander started screaming uncontrollably. And I remember calling the doctor and them saying, oh, first-time parents, you know, he, kids are going to cry. And Ben looked at me and said, Christy, I have a feeling we need to get him to a doctor now. So we called again, and they said, you know, if it makes you feel better, go up to Children's Urgent Care. We went up to Children's Urgent Care, and once again, that very familiar question, how did you know? They had an ambulance on the way to get him. He had a hernia that they said if we would have waited just two hours, he would have lost part of his intestines. And so I feel like throughout our journey with Xander, we've had so many of those but God moments that when something happens, we kind of look at each other and just have that reminder of like, he hasn't left us. We're still going to go through trials. We've had different situations come up, but God has never left us. But God has held us each time. And just hopefully that encourages others when you're going through those trials. Seek out people who will pray. I remember telling the doctors so many times when they said, well, this wasn't supposed to happen. I just kept saying, we've just been praying. I've got people around the world praying for this kid. But God stepped in so many times in his life. So... Wow. Will you stand with me and let's just declare how great our God is? And if you're in the middle of something right now, just declare his truth over your situation, his love, his grace, and his mercy. The splendor of the King Clothed in majesty Let all the earth rejoice Let all the earth rejoice He wraps himself in light And darkness tries to hide and trembles at his voice, and trembles at his voice. How great is our God. 
sing with me how great is our God and all will see how great how great is our God and age to age he stands and time is in Beginning and the end, beginning and the end. The God hit three in one. Father, Spirit, and Son, the Lion and the Lamb, the Lion and the Lamb. How great is this morning may we go with our hearts refreshed our minds renewed and uh, a fresh passion and zeal for life and thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Lord we agree with you today that you are Lord you are Savior 
and you're a good God who keeps your promises. Lord, we, we recognize things don't always go the way we would like it to go, but ultimately we're trusting in you and your goodness and your purposes in Jesus' name. Amen. As we go...